We're in week three of our series, Fear No Evil. I pray that this series has been a blessing to you, and I pray that you are growing in faith as we go through this series and making sure that fear does not have a grip or hold on your life. Today, let's open our Bibles to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12, please. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12. This is a well-known scripture, but I want this to be our foundation for where we are headed today. Because last week I told you about two primary ways in which fear comes into our lives. And I also talked about three ways in which we need to be responding whenever fear shows up in our lives. Because the reality is this, no matter uh, uh, how uh, much of an experienced believer you might be, no matter how many years you might have been saved, the reality is fear will always try to come and grab a hold of your life. Amen? The reality is when you see certain things happen in the lives of uh, maybe your loved ones, maybe your family and your friends, or even to the people outside, maybe strangers, people that you don't even know. But when you hear about the news, when you see certain things happen, fear will always try to find an entry point to come into your life. And so you can be a pastor, a bishop, or whatever it is, and you might be a prayer warrior. You might actually be the one praying for other people, and you might be on the prayer call, uh, uh, you know, helping people, counseling people, but that does not mean that you don't have to deal with fear yourself. The reality is, even uh, is somebody like me, I can preach against fear, I can preach on faith and all of these things. It does not mean I don't have to deal with fear. I still have to deal with fear. I still have to pay attention to what I see, what I hear. I still have to respond in the right manner whenever fear shows up at my doorstep. Amen? Now, today, 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 12 says this, fight the good fight of faith. Amen? The fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on to eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Now, Paul is writing this to Timothy, and one of the things that he's instructing Timothy to do is fight. Now, Timothy is a young man. He's a young pastor at this time. And he's telling Timothy, fight the good fight of faith. Everyone say the fight of faith. Right? We're called. If there's one fight every believer is called to fight, it is the fight of faith. And so today in the world that we live in, we cannot think that uh, that the Christian life is a passive life. The Christian life is not a passive life. The Christian life is a very active life. Amen. You, 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 it's living an active life with a God that is alive. We don't have a God that we memorialize and we worship. We have a God that is alive and well today. We have a relationship with a God that is alive. And because our faith is alive in him, our faith needs to be active. And so also when it comes to dealing with the everyday issues of life, we need to fight the good fight of faith. Now, I've said this before, why is it called a good fight? Because ultimately, we win the fight. That's why it's a good fight. When you go out and play a game, you say, it was a good game or it was a great game. Why? Because you won the game, right? It wasn't a great game for the person that lost the game or the, the team that lost the game. So, he says, fight the good fight of faith. He says, lay hold onto eternal life to which you were also called. 
Meaning, every believer, we're called to certain things. Number one, we're called to fight the good fight of faith. But then he also says, then lay hold on to eternal life to which you were also called. Meaning that every one of us, we were called to eternal life. We were called to the eternal promises of God. We were called. God God had uh, um, formed or, or created this eternal life for people like you and for me. And we're called to that. That's our destiny in God. Now, even though that is our destiny in God, the reality is this, that the devil is going to do its very best to make sure that we don't reach the destiny that God has for us. That's why here he says, lay hold onto eternal life. Now, why do I have to lay hold onto it? The reason I have to hold on to it is because the devil is always going to do everything possible to make sure I lose that eternal life, to make sure I lose the grip on the eternal life. So we have to understand and we have to realize that God has called us to fight the good fight of faith while we're living in this world. And number two, the way we fight the good fight of faith is by laying hold on to eternal life. Amen. Amen. Now go with me to Ephesians chapter four, please. Ephesians chapter four. And uh, starting from verse 24, Ephesians 4 and starting from verse 24 says this, and that you may put on the new man. Everyone say new man. man. It says that you may put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, Paul is instructing the Christian believer here. Paul is instructing the Christian and he's saying that you put on the new man. That means it is something that we have to do consciously. For example, before we started, uh, um, you know, recording the message, I had to put on this jacket. The jacket just didn't come upon me when I woke up or as, as I was walking to the studio or as I was walking to, to, to the place where we're uh, recording this, the, the, the jacket just didn't fall on me. I had to make sure that I put it on me. And Paul is saying, make sure that you put on the new man. Now, where do you put on the new man? The, the spirit man is already new. Where do you put him on? You put him on in your soul or in your mind. When it comes to your thinking, that's where you put on the new man. You don't put him on in the spirit. Why? Because he's already new. The spirit man has already been a new creation in Christ Jesus, right? Now, where do you put on the new man? In your thinking, in your mind, your will, your emotions, the soulish part of man. He says, put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Meaning, again, righteousness means right standing with God. So he says, this new man was created uh, uh, according to God in right standing with God. Hallelujah. So he says, that's what you have to put on. Then he says, verse 25, therefore putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth and sorry, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Verse 27, nor give place to the devil, nor give place to to the devil. In the Amplified Version, it says, leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. 
Now, verse 24, he gives us the responsibility of putting on the new man. Verse 27, I want you to pay attention to two things out of this tiny verse. Two things that you need to uh, uh, pay attention to is, number one, the existence of the devil. The existence of the devil. Now, I, I know that might seem obvious, but a lot of people live like the devil doesn't exist. The reality is the devil does exist. The reality, see, if, if the devil can convince you that he does not exist, then you will never resist him. Are you understanding that? See, people believe that there is a God and people don't necessarily sometimes believe or think that there is a devil. And that's the reason why a lot of people, no matter what happens in their life, they just think it's the will of God. They don't differentiate what is the work of God and what is the work of the enemy. So whether good happens, oh, it's God's will. Whether bad happens, oh, it's God's will. And we never blame the devil. A lot of times what happens, even if something crazy happens in their life, even if somebody loses their life, somebody loses their job, somebody crazy things are happening in their life, they just think, you know, I don't know why God is doing this. And we don't even differentiate between what God is doing and what the devil is doing. So I want you to understand that there is the devil. He is a reality. So number one, out of verse 27, you've got to understand that there is a devil. But number two, here's the good news. You have control or authority over him. You have authority over him. Because look at what he says. He says, in the Amplified, he says, verse 27, leave no room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. Meaning what? If you can leave no room for the devil, or if you can be in a place where you give no opportunity to the devil, which means what? You are in command. You have authority that has been given to you. So even when the devil tries to do certain things, he cannot. Why? Because you have been given authority. Amen. So, so far, what have we established today? That we are called to fight the good fight of faith. All right. And we lay hold on to eternal promises and the devil is going to do everything possible to make sure that you lose the hold on eternal life or eternal promises. Then in the Ephesians chapter four, we're seeing that there is an importance of putting on the new man. And verse 27, it also gives us, lets us know that we should not be giving any room to the devil. Now, what does all of this have to do with fear, Pastor? Well, go with me to Mark chapter 4, please. Mark chapter 4. We looked at these verses uh, um, in the previous weeks, but I want us to take a look at it again, and I want us to uh, really dive into this very clearly so that we uh, get everything that we can out of this portion of Scripture. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. It says, on the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when he had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. Verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Verse 38, but he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and he said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
Now, I want you to think about what is happening here. I want you to put yourselves in the, uh, in the shoes of the disciples. They just finished hearing the master preach. They saw him minister to the people. And after all of this happened, Jesus says, get, get onto the boat and let us cross over to the other side. All right now, you've got to understand that the people that were in the boat, many, several of them were fishermen. They knew how the waves worked. They knew how the sea worked, and 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 they knew how to handle the situation. However, now after Jesus said what he had to say, they're going over to the other side, and things did not go as planned. Now. I want you to understand that a lot of times this is what happens even in our lives. What, what, what took place in verse 35? The, Jesus said to them, let us cross over to the other side, which means they received a word from the master. All right. And, and a lot of times when we receive a word from the master, we don't anticipate the work of the devil along the way. All right. Now, we receive the word and we think because we received the word, things automatically are going to show up. Because we received the word, we think, okay, this year is going to be just, you know, uh, uh, walking on uh, uh, rose petals every day. We think it's going to be a cakewalk. We think it's just going to fall into our lap. Now, exactly, that, that's exactly what happened even with the disciples. Now, they heard the word of the master. In other words, just like we receive the promise of the Lord or on January, th December 31st or January 1st, when, we, when people are really looking for, you know, what's the promise for my life? What's the word for my year? What's, what, what, you know, where is God taking me? And we receive the word, but we don't necessarily anticipate what the devil has in store as well. Right now, here's that, that, that's exactly what is happening here. What's happening is Jesus spoke the word. They received the word or they heard the word, but they did not anticipate what might happen there. And so as they're going, a great windstorm arose, the Bible says, and the waves beat onto the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow and they awoke him saying to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now, a lot of times, again, we receive the word, we're on the, on the journey to go over to the other side and then the winds begin to blow in our lives. The waves begin to hit our boat. And during those times, a lot of times what we try to do is we try to do things in our own strength and ability. We try to do everything that we can to overcome the things that are happening in our life. And then finally, we get to the place where we wake up Jesus. In other words, in our lives, we get to the place where we come back to God or we get to the place where we desperately seek the face of God or we desperately seek the help of God. However, when we get to those kinds of situations, when we get to those kinds of circumstances, we are most of the time, almost every single time, we are out of our mind. In fact, what's happening is during those situations and circumstances, we respond or we react to situations not based on the truth of God's word, but based on the situations that are happening in our lives. Now, look at how they responded. They said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? What are they doing and what are they not doing? They're not describing to him the situation. 
They're not going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, look at the waves or, or look at the, uh, the, the amount of water that's in the boat. No, they're not describing any of the situations. They're not describing what is happening. They're actually accusing Jesus of something. They say, do you not care that we are perishing? See, fear will cause you to believe that God doesn't care for you. Even with all the situations that are going on all around us, some of you might have gotten to the place where you think God doesn't care for you. And the reason you think that is not because God doesn't care for you. It's just because you've let fear take a grip of your life. Are you understanding that? You somehow have come to this place where you think that everything that happens in this world, everything that happens in life is going to be dictated by God, not realizing that there is a devil in this world, not realizing that the devil has come into this world to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, when you don't understand that, you will not resist him. And when you don't resist him, when you don't anticipate that the devil is going to do something in my life, even after I receive the word from the Lord, you will become passive. And when you become passive and when your faith is not active based on what God has told you, guess what? You will be traveling along the way. You will be in your boat and Jesus is in your boat as well. He's fast asleep. Now you're going on your way because Jesus told you, let us cross over to the other side. And, and you're walking and you're going and you're, and you're moving ahead in life. And all of a sudden there's a great windstorm. Nobody really anticipated that we would be in the situation that we are in today in 2021. Nobody thought that it would be a repeat of 2020, only that it would be much worse, especially in India. And when we look at everything that is happening around us, you get to the place where you begin to accuse God. And that's exactly what they were doing. They say... Don't you care that we are perishing? Now think about when they are saying this. They're saying this not on day one of ministry. They're saying this after they have seen Jesus heal the sick, after they have seen Jesus provide for the disciples, after they've seen Jesus do the supernatural and do the miraculous. After seeing him do these things, the question that they come up with is, don't you care that we are perishing? Now, where did that thought come from? That thought came from fear. Now, why did Jesus come into this world? Jesus came into this world to save those who are perishing. That's the whole point. The reason why he came into this world is to save people who are perishing. And what do the disciples have to say? The ones that are closest to him, they say, don't you care that we are perishing? Obviously, Jesus cares. Obviously, he cares for the perishing. That's the only reason he came. But when fear has a grip or hold on you, you begin to say things that are not true. You begin to say things that are contrary to know what is true deep down on the inside of you. Look at what happens next. Then in verse 39, then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Verse 40, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? 
It's the same standard response that Jesus always has. The disciples' response changed because of fear, but Jesus' response never changed. Now think about what Jesus is asking. Jesus says, why are you so fearful? Now, Jesus, isn't the answer obvious? Don't you see the situation? How can you say, or why is it that you're even asking the question, why are you so fearful? Don't you see the waves? Don't you see the wind? Don't you see the water that is already in the boat? And Jesus will answer, I see the waves, I see the wind, I see the water in the boat, but none of those things warrant you to be fearful. See, if Jesus is talking to us today, if you could have a one-on-one conversation with Jesus in your living room right now, he would say, if any of you are dealing with fear and anxiety in your life, even if you have a loved one in the ICU right now, or even if you need to reach out to somebody that you're not able to reach out to, Jesus would say, why are you fearful today? Why? Well, Jesus, because we don't have enough oxygen tanks. Well, is that, does that warrant you to live a fearful life? Well, Jesus, because so many people in my apartment complex are already tested positive. Okay, does that warrant you to live a fearful life? See, the reasons, according to the world, according to our understanding, the reasons were there. The reasons are very clear as to why the disciples should fear. But Jesus says, why are you so fearful? Why? Is it that you have no faith? Now, what was Jesus expecting out of the disciples? Jesus was expecting the opposite of what the disciples did. Now, what did they do? They panicked, they were fearful, and they uh, uh, woke up Jesus, and they blurted things that they should not have said. Now, what was Jesus expecting them to do? Jesus was fully expecting them to walk by faith in that storm. Now, what does that look like? How does walking by faith in the midst of the storm look like? Well, what did Jesus do? Go back to verse 39. He said, he arose, and what did he do? He rebuked the wind. Now, how do you rebuke the wind? How do you rebuke, do something to something that you cannot even see? You don't see the wind. What can you see? You can see the water coming into the boat. And Jesus is not doing, there is no description of Jesus quickly taking a bucket and, 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 you know, putting the water outside the boat. What did he do? He spoke to the wind. He spoke to something that you cannot see. Please get this today. He just didn't deal with the water that you could see. He went to the very root of the issue. How did the storm happen? It was a windstorm. He spoke to the wind. He spoke to the root issue. He awoke and he spoke. He rebuked the wind, the Bible says. And then what happened as a result of that? He says, peace be still, and the wind ceased. The wind ceased. And once the wind ceased, guess what? There are no more waves thrashing the boat. 
Why? Because the wind ceased. Why? Because he went to the root issue. Now, for many of us, the root issue is not the fever. The root issue is not the lack of hospital beds. The root issue is not the lack of medicine. The root issue is fear. I hope you're getting this today. Yes. The root issue is fear. I've said this before. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear that is tolerated in your life is faith that is contaminated in your life. You've got to be active in your Christian walk. See, a lot of us, we live a passive Christian life, meaning, oh, I'll just do my regular things. And all of a sudden, when I'm, I, I need rescuing, that's when I will seek God. No, that's not what we're called to do. We are called to live an active Christian life. Uh, we need to have a faith that is active every single day. The just shall live by faith. The just shall not just be rescued by faith, shall live by faith. That's why, why did Jesus not need rescuing? Because he was always walking by faith. The just shall live by faith. You and I live by faith. Pandemic, no pandemic, we live by faith. Fever, no fever, live by faith. Medicine, no medicine, live by faith. Money in the bank account, no money, live by faith. Practice living by faith. So what did Jesus do? He stood up and he rebuked the wind. In other words, Jesus had a belief system in him. He had the spirit of faith. And so what does he do? He sees the situation. He speaks to the situation. That's exactly what he was expecting the disciples to do. That's what he was expecting the disciples to do. The question is, what is he expecting of us to do in this situation? Let me make it personal. What is Jesus expecting of you today? In your situation, I don't know the situation you're dealing with right now. You may be watching this in an ICU right now. What is Jesus expecting of you? How does he want you to respond to the situation that you're dealing with right now? And this is not an uncommon thing. This is not something that only happened in the life of Jesus. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13 says this, And since we have the same spirit of faith according to that which is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believed and therefore speak. See, it's in the New Testament. It's in the New Covenant. Now, he was talking about the saints of the Old Covenant. And so this is not just something relegated to the New Testament. This was something that was happening in the Old Testament. And then it continues to happen in the life of Jesus. And then it is translated into the New Testament, which means that it is a calling for every single one of us. How does faith work? We believe and therefore we speak. Jesus believed and therefore he spoke. The question is, what are you speaking today? What do you believe and what are you speaking? Do you understand and do you believe not just in God? The Bible says if you believe in God, you've not done such a great thing because why? The devil also believes in God. So the question is not just about whether you believe in God. Do you understand that there is a devil that is active out there? What are you doing? What are we doing to resist the devil in our lives? 
A lot of times what we do is we don't resist the devil. What we do is we keep begging God. And what God is saying is, no, I've given you the authority. I've given you the power. Now resist the devil. That's why in Ephesians, he says, give no place to the devil. Meaning what? That whenever the devil begins to wreak havoc in our lives, some way, somehow we have given him place. And the more you yield, the more you give place to him, the more havoc he will wreck in your life. Now, look at what, what, what he says in, um, or stay in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 4. Let's jump down to verse 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Now, Paul is writing this. He says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. What is he saying? He's saying, even though things may be perishing on the outside, even though things might be going downhill on the outside, Paul says we don't lose heart. Why? Because of what's happening on the inside. We don't lose heart. Yes, the, the, the news might be getting worse, but we don't lose heart because of what we know on the inside. And based on what you know on the inside, we speak. Jesus always spoke based on what he knew on the inside. He comes to the tomb of Lazarus. He knows what's on the outside, but he also knows what's on the inside. And he speaks not based on what's on the outside, but he speaks based on what's on the inside. Look at verse, um, jump down to verse 18, 2 Corinthians 4.18. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but look at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I love the way Paul writes this. He says, while we look at the things which are, sorry, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but we look at things which are not seen or unseen. Look at what he's saying. He's saying, everything that you see, we don't look at that. He says, but we look at the things we cannot see. What is Paul saying? Paul is saying what Jesus showed us in Mark chapter 4. What did Jesus show us? Jesus is standing there. He cannot see the wind and he speaks to the wind. He can see the water, but he does not deal with the water. Why? Because he knows the things that are not seen are what is creating the things that are seen. So he doesn't just deal with the temporal things. He just doesn't deal with the water. He deals with the wind. And Paul says here, we, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, the things that you see, the, the pains in your body, the fever in your body, the, the every uh, uh, um, thing that is leading people to lack and, and, and sorrow and, and uh, depression, all of these things that you can see, the Bible says they are temporary. So we fix our eyes on the eternal the things that are unseen. See, that is how you live a fearless life even during times like these. Why? Because you don't live based on what you see on the outside. You live based on what you know on the inside. Hallelujah. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, please. 2 Timothy chapter 1. Um, I'll start reading from verse 2. It says, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I 
serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers day and night. Now, verse four, pay attention to this. He says, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears that I may that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in uh, is in you also. Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power, love, and of a sound mind. All right. We've looked at verse seven uh, uh, several times over the last few weeks. But again, pay attention to what's happening in verse four. He says, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears. Being mindful of your tears. Which means this lets us know that Timothy was going through something tough that Timothy was actually crying over certain things in his life. So Paul is writing to him as a father in the faith and saying, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. Why is he saying that he's filled with joy? Paul is writing to Timothy and he's saying, I'm mindful of your tears, but I am filled with joy. Why is he filled with joy when his spiritual son Timothy is in tears? Why? He is in joy because, he says, um, verse 5, I'm f- uh, that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you. The genuine faith that is in you. Paul is saying, I know you're crying, but my heart is filled with joy. Not because he is crying but because of the genuine faith with which he is walking, even while he is crying. I wanted to read this because some of you right now, you may be doing a lot of crying over the last several days. You may be going through some really tough times. And I want you to know that crying does not mean you lack faith. You can cry all you want. There are certain things that may be happening in your life. You may be uh, 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 some, somebody that you know, a good friend, a family member, somebody might have even passed away in the last several weeks and you may be grieving, you may be go- going through the grieving process and you may be crying about certain things. It is okay to cry, but make sure that there is faith even when you cry. And Paul says, I rejoice and I'm filled with joy when I look at you. Why? Because even in this tough time, even though you may be crying, there's genuine faith in you. And because there's genuine faith in you, I rejoice in the fact that you have this faith. Even though you're crying, I rejoice in this. See, there's always the joy of faith and the torment of fear. There's joy in faith and there's torment in fear. It's the spirit of faith and the spirit of fear. A lot of times in the Bible, we, we, it, it, uh, uh, the way the Bible describes fear or talks about fear, it says the spirit of fear. That's why here, uh, uh, again, while he's writing to Timothy, he talks about all of these things. And in verse 7, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Saying, so what is he writing to Timothy? He's saying, I know you're crying, but while you cry, remember this. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but that of power, love, and of a sound mind. 
So for those of you who are going through a tough situation, I want you to know God has not given you a spirit of fear, but that of power, love, and of a sound mind. Amen? Now, go with me to Numbers chapter uh, uh, 14. So how can you have the spirit of faith? How can you respond to situations the way Jesus responds to situations? See, the, you, you do that by yielding yourself to the spirit of faith. By yielding, by, by saying, God, do in me what needs to be done. I am open for your work in my life. Numbers chapter 14 and, and verse 23, it says, Surely they shall not see the land which I swore to you, Sorry, I'll, I'll read that again. Surely they, they shall not see the land which I swore to give to their fathers, nor shall any who provoked, spurred, or despised me, dis, uh, provoked me see it. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit, everyone say different spirit, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land into which... Um, he went and his descendants shall possess it. See, Caleb yielded to the spirit of faith. How, do I, how can I say that he yielded to the spirit of faith? Because he is among the few who actually responded to the challenge with the word of God. What was the challenge? Well, they go into the promised land and they see giants in the land. And once they see the giants in the land, what do the majority of the people say? We cannot possess the land. There's no way we're going into it. It's too dangerous. It's too unsafe. We cannot do this. We'll stay wherever we already are. Well, what happened to Caleb? He says he had a different spirit. How did he get that spirit? He got that spirit by yielding himself to the word of God. See, God promised, and that's why in verse 23, it says, they will surely not go into the land which I swore to give to their fathers, which means what? The word of the Lord had come that this was going to be their land. Now, what did Caleb do? He yielded himself to the word of the Lord. By yielding himself to the word of the Lord, what happened? He had a different spirit. He had a different spirit. Think about the time when Peter walked on water. What happened? He yielded himself. What did Jesus say? Come. And what did Peter do? He began to walk on water. How? He obeyed the word of the master. He obeyed the word of the master. He did not pay attention to the fact that the surface on which he was walking was water. He only paid attention to the word of the master. What did he do? He yielded himself to the word. And by yielding himself to the word, he received the spirit of faith. He was walking by faith. And while he was doing that, the Bible says, then he took his eyes off of Jesus. He paid attention to the wind and to the waves. When he did that, he yielded himself to the spirit of fear. That's when he began to sink. That's when he began to sink. Are you understanding this? Go with me to... Uh, John chapter 14, please. John chapter 14. Again, when you yield yourself to the spirit of faith, it, it's not something that just impacts your life. It impacts the lives of the people around you and it impacts the generations to come in your life as well. Your families will be impacted by the spirit of faith. 
John chapter 14 and verse 1 says, let your heart, let not your heart be troubled. Only believe, you believe in God, believe also in me. This is Jesus speaking. He says, let not your heart be troubled, meaning what? That means you can do something about it. That means even when situations and circumstances are not going according to plan, you still have the ability to make sure that your heart is not troubled. Same chapter, verse 27 says this, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Neither let it be afraid. Several things going on in this verse. He's saying, I give you my peace, which means this peace comes from Jesus. He's left us this peace, which means we have the peace of God. Now, you've got to take that by faith. You've got to yield yourself to that word. You've got to open your mouth and confess it out of your mouth, saying, I have the peace of God. I live in the peace of God. I operate by the peace of God. I will not let my heart be troubled. Neither will I let my heart be afraid. Neither will I let my heart be afraid. Oh, they're saying a lockdown. I will not fear. Oh, it looks like I'm having certain symptoms of the virus. I will not fear. Why? Because I have the peace of God. You've got to believe it and you've got to declare it out of your mouth, knowing that God loves you. See, what happened when, when fear gets a grip of your life, what happens when, when your heart becomes afraid, when your heart is troubled, that's when you begin to doubt whether, God, uh, whether or not God cares for, the, for you, whether or not God loves you. And, and, and in that process, you begin to say things that are contrary to the Word of God. You begin to say things that you know are not true in your life. See, they said, don't you care that we are perishing? They knew Jesus cared for them. They knew that's the reason why he came into this world. And yet they said those things that they said because their hearts were troubled and they were afraid. Amen? Now, go with me to Romans chapter, chapter 8 and we'll close with this. Romans chapter 8. Don't let your heart be troubled. No matter what you hear on the news, no matter what is happening, do not let your heart be troubled. Remember what we read in Proverbs, out of the heart flow the issues of life. It's very important to protect your heart. Romans chapter 8 and verse 35, it says, Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Can anything separate us from Christ's love? This Jesus, who came and died on the cross for you. Paul is writing after the resurrection and he says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love. Does it mean, uh, does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Think about the things that he's listing out. After all of these things being listed out, he says, can any of these things actually separate us from the love of God? Absolutely not. Verse 36 says, as the scripture says, for your sake, we are 
killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. It's not just minor victory, overwhelming victory belongs to us. It's not something that we'll get it sometime in the future. No, overwhelming victory belongs to us right now in 2021, in the month of May. Right now, overwhelming victory belongs to us in Jesus' name. And he says, even though you may be going through difficult situations, even though everything might be turned upside down, don't ever think that those things can separate you from the love of God. God eternally loves us. Amen. 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 Then he goes on to say, um, verse uh, 38, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears or neither our fears uh, for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. He says, can he, 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 the first thing that he says is, um, neither death nor life, the two great extremes, neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. No matter what is taking place all around you or in your life or in your family, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Rest in his love and live fearlessly in these times. Rest in the love of God and live fearlessly. Yes, you may be going in the boat and the water may be coming in. Rest in the fact that Jesus cares for you. Open your mouth and live an active life of faith. Speak based on what you know is true on the inside of your heart. You've received the word of the Lord. Many of you received, you've received the scripture for this year that this is the year of purpose, calling and, and power in your life. You've received that and you are walking towards your purpose. You're walking towards your calling. You're walking in developing in, 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 the, in the power that God has given to us. And while you're doing that, all of these things may be happening. But don't let this be an opportunity to accuse God that he doesn't care for you. Remember who you are. Speak based on what you know deep down on the inside of you. Stand up in faith and in authority, knowing that God eternally loves you, knowing that everything that is happening all around you is the work of the enemy. Every bad thing is the work of the enemy. But now, in stand, understanding the love that God has for you, knowing that the peace of God has been given to you, stand and, and, and in peace and stand knowing that you are resting in the love of God and knowing that you can speak based on what you know deep down on the inside of you. And what is it that you deep, know deep down on the inside of you? That you have overwhelming victory, overwhelming victory in every area of your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. Rest in the Word of God, meditate on the Word of God, and live fearlessly in these times. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the word today, we thank you for speaking to us. I thank you, Lord, because of what you have done on the cross for us. Even in times like these, 
we can live fearlessly. Fearless living is our portion. And we thank you for it. We glorify you. We magnify you. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone said, Amen, amen and Amen.